Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember in your life as a child having an impact on you? I think it's probably, well, the first ad that I remember having an impact on me was Nike. They had an ad around um, women's empowerment called If You Let Me Play. Um, That was about all of the things that um, are better in women's lives if they're able to play sports as girls. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Kate Hewitt, the chief marketing officer of Bombas, the makers of probably the most comfortable pair of socks you'll ever wear. The company was started in 2013 when its founders discovered the number one most requested item in homeless shelters is socks. So the business model is this. For every item purchased, Bombas donates a pair of socks to organizations supporting those affected by homelessness. Kate Hewitt started her career on Wall Street before making the switch to the startup world where she was one of Bombas's first employees. Bombas has grown to $100 million plus, and their aspiration is to be a billion-dollar brand. This is my conversation with Kate Hewitt. Welcome, Kate, to the CMO Podcast. I am so looking forward to talking with you for so many reasons, but I have to tell you up front that my family, my entire family, is 100% loyal to Bombas Socks. And as a tennis player, I see your new product in tennis, which I just noticed as I was browsing your website and preparing Mm -hmm. for this. So when I get to play tennis again someday, (laughs) I'm ordering your socks soon so I can have them ready when I'm back on the courts. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, We're recording this podcast in the middle of this terrible crisis. And I just want to know how you and your team are doing and just give me an overall, how's everything, how, how's everything going? And yep. what's maybe the biggest unexpected change in how you were doing business? I mean, we yeah. hear a lot of people working remotely, of course, exercising, taking breaks. But what's kind of the biggest unexpected change that's happened with your team? Yeah. So I'd say overall, Bombas is doing well. We're really fortunate to be a product that even in this moment where people are outside less, you know, staying at home more that we're still a product people are needing and using and actually probably appreciating more than ever as a small luxury that's a nice part of their daily routine and, you know, part of their workout, part of being, you know, comfortable at home or for those who are on the front lines um, and using our product, you know, supporting them through really, really long days on their feet. Um, So we're really, we feel really fortunate about that. And then I think we're also really grateful to have our mission, which has always been to donate a pair of uh, socks to those in need for every pair purchased. Now an item uh, for every item purchased uh, since we've expanded into t-shirts. Um, 
But our mission has actually really been a galvanizing force for the company at this time. I think in it's always been really front and center for us, but our giving team has been doing a ton of work uh, with the homeless and at-risk community during this time period. Um, I would say actually more even than usual, which is we were already doing quite a lot. Um, and they've done a, a really good job keeping the rest of the company informed and really feeling like we're still contributing to that mission and that it matters more than ever. Um, and I think I've always known that our mission was a really core part of the heartbeat of our company and, and particularly around employee morale. Uh, but I think one gift of this is seeing that in tough times too, uh, that people feel really committed to the mission and more excited uh, to work with us and for us because of it. I'm hearing from a lot of organizations how they're in these times, people are really stepping up to be really creative. Yes. How they can help their customers, how they can help yeah. each other. And I've been, on, I've been on probably 12 calls in the last week, hearing mm -hmm. incredible stories of creativity coming up or organizations. So can you speak that a bit more? You're saying that you're even stepping up more for the homeless. So what mm -hmm. sorts of ideas are coming out of your organization in these times of, of stress and when people are really, really trying to make a difference? Yeah. Um, so with the giving team specifically, in addition to our normal you know, donate donate items, items for items that are purchased. We've done a number of different things. Uh, we advocated uh, a lot with the Department of Homeless Services in New York City to allow volunteers to continue to distribute um, items to those in need during this crisis. So that was more of an advocacy move for us. Uh, we enlisted like-minded brands who had excess supplies to provide local New York organizations with critically needed items. Um, our partners at the, at the Bowery Mission in New York City Relief Bus uh, got soap um, from our friends at Clean Cult um, and twin sheet sets uh, from our friends at Brooklinen. We're partnering with the Village Den to collect some critically needed supplies uh, that people have in excess that we're then redistributing to homeless individuals and also healthcare workers. Um, we're also donating critically needed supplies like individually wrapped plastic utensils, paper towels, to-go containers, and latex gloves. To the Bowery mission as well. Um, and then we've we've have a corporate sales team that normally is focused on selling Bombas in bulk to companies that want to give them as a gift to either employees or customers. Um, and that team in the current environment has been doing a ton of outreach to get donated socks uh, to uh, hospitals around the country where you know a fresh pair of socks for someone who's on their feet all day is going to make a really big difference right now. Sounds fantastic. So that's, all, that's all on the giving side. And then I think in terms of marketing specifically, we've always been pretty sort of church and state, for lack of a better word, between mission and product. And we've really not wanted, they're, they're both really critical parts of our business, but we've not often tied the messaging together, except really through our founding story. And I think in this moment, we've sort of thrown out that rule book and we're, we're integrating our product and our mission messaging uh, much more than we typically do. What have you learned about yourself in this as a leader? Because you've had to manage yeah. obviously very differently. We all do now in the last few yeah. years. That's a great question. I think, honestly, it's probably just reinforced some of what I already really believed, which is that my number one priority as a leader is to make sure that every single person on my team is really clear around expectations 
and that they feel really supported for success. Um, and that feels even more important than ever um, as different people are reacting to really different scenarios in their in their lives. I have a you know team that's 25 people in a wide range of living arrangements with a wide range of you know setups at home and realizing that each person really requires a different touch at this at this point in time and taking the time to deliver that and make sure that I'm really supporting every single person on my team much more sort of intentionally than I might have before because previously I did a lot of management by walking around and you know without without that I've had to create new new touch points with the people on my team especially the indirect reports any new rituals to do that that others could benefit from I mean, are you doing virtual lunches or coffees or yeah. uh, you know more routine one-on-ones or what sorts of things are you doing yeah so it's it's really varied by team so I oversee um, a couple of different teams within Bombas for my direct reports who are all directors, each leading their own team. We now have a biweekly breakfast because um, I feel like it's really, I have one-on-ones with each of them every week, uh, but it's also really helpful for them to hear from each other because a lot, they're facing very similar challenges. So that's that's new. That's not something that we did before this, but it's been really valuable. Um, probably my favorite one though is we've been doing game nights. Um, somebody on our on our UX research team figured out a way to sort of Jerry rig a camera over the game code names, and so we've been playing that, um, and that's been a really fun way to interact with people. It's a blast! What a great idea! Yeah. yeah. What are you hearing from your consumers, or seeing from your consumers in the yeah. last few weeks? So I feel like a bit of a broken record, but the thing that's been most interesting for us is engagement with our mission is off the charts. The open rates on our emails where we talk about mission more specifically are up four times over what we normally see, uh, which tells me there's a lot of hunger right now for, I think, good news and a lot of affinity for brands that are, you know, really engaging and trying to contribute in in the ways that they can in the current moment. So what could others learn from that? It's really, you know, you have 4X engagement and people are seeing your mission ever more important. But if you're a, a, you know, a consumer brand at another company, Mm -hmm. what could they learn from what you're seeing and how you're reacting to it? Yeah. Um, So actually I'm seeing a lot of this in the marketplace. We're seeing a lot of companies and it's been, it's been quite inspiring seeing you know missions always been front and center for us other companies maybe had a mission but it was less front and center and other companies still didn't have a mission but are still looking for ways to to pay it forward i think the biggest thing for us that we've tried to focus on is what is authentic to us and to our mission and really trying to keep our you know our mission related efforts really crisp around the things that we feel like we're uniquely suited to be able to deliver on um, versus, you know, we've had a lot of opportunities to join with other companies on things that feel a little further afield from our mission. And we've, we've said no to those and really tried to stay focused. So I think it's doing the things that are authentic to your brand in this moment. 
you're using the word mission a lot so far in this podcast. Do you use that interchangeably with purpose or do you see them as different ideas? We, that's funny. No one has ever asked me that. We've, we really use the word mission much more than we use the word purpose. I think it's maybe just internally how we've always spoken about it. And when you talk about mission, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I think many people are familiar with your business model and your Mm -hmm. mission, but could you think, tell me a little bit more about how you engage everyone in the mission, how you make it part of daily work, how you make it part of your, um, how you make it top of mind for everyone, how much you measure it. So if we could go a little bit deeper in your mission, because you're obviously a mission-based organization from your founding story. But help us a little bit with how you think about that. I think people are very curious about this uh, on my podcast. We talk an awful lot about brand purpose or mission. And people are always curious about what different companies do to measure it, discover it, activate it. Yeah, um, it's another really good question. So I would say from very early on, we, you know, we've always had one pair purchased equals one pair donated. That's the bedrock really of everything. I think something that differentiated us from very early on is that it wasn't just giving out socks. It would have been easy for us to sort of send them off and not have to think about it. But you know, from really early on, we would take the entire company to homeless shelters, to soup kitchens. We've been very actively personally volunteering and, and part of our mission is that we give back personally and meaningfully. Um, and so for different people on the team, that might look different. Um, in any given month, we have, I think, probably eight to 14 giving events typically, and they range what you could work with, you know, as a as an employee of the company, you could work with the Birthday Party Project, which is an amazing uh, organization that throws birthday parties for children living in shelters. Um, there's We do a dinner at the Bowery, uh, Bowery Women's Shelter, um, which is super popular. Um, you know, there's just a really huge range of opportunities to give back. Um, and that I think is something that people really value about working with us. And then within really everyone's life cycle at Bombas, there are a number of touch points. So even in the interview process, we give every person who comes in socks for them, but then we also include a pair of donation socks so that they can personally experience what it's like to have that interaction of, of giving somebody on the street a pair of socks. Um, in our onboarding process, we spend a significant amount of time training people, educating them on how to volunteer appropriately, um, on like how our donation socks are constructed on the fact that we donate across all 50 states and really make sure that they're well-educated around our mission. Um, and then within our business, uh, we have as a, one of our strategic pillars, you know, continuing to evolve the mission and every team has, you know, at least one KPI that plugs into that goal. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So when you talk about performance measurement 
at Bombas and every company has its own, you know, routines on performance measurement. You speak about the mission and the engagement of each employee in the mission? We do. Yeah. So we, we look at things like how many hours have we donated in addition to how many socks have we donated? We look at things like customer awareness of the mission. We do internal surveys around how connected people feel to the mission. So we measure it internally in terms of how people are feeling about it. And then we also measure it externally um, in terms of how happy are our giving partners with us? What, you know, what percent of the demand that's out there do we think that we're satisfying? And those are the kinds of things that we'll look at. That's fantastic. So you do an internal and an external measurement of your progress against your mission. We do. And that's part of your routines. Yep. I want to take a little bit of a step back and mm -hmm. You've been at Bombas six years. Yeah. Right. And so that's the longest you've ever worked anywhere in your still young career. So you must be enjoying it. So I want you to flip yes. back six years and tell us the story of why did you join? What was the catalyst? Mm -hmm. How did you hear about it? And why have you stayed? Yeah. Um, so I think the three main things that brought me to Bombas uh, were the people. Um, so the founders were ethical, kind, smart passionate about that, what they were building, uh, the actual product. So I, I was not super excited about going early stage again. I had just come out of an early stage company and I was really, um, more interested in something that was scaling. But, you know, my first conversation with Dave, our founder, he gave me a couple pairs of socks. And for like two, three weeks after we met, every time I put on those socks, I was like, these really are amazing. <laughs> They are good. Um, and I just I couldn't get it, you know, I couldn't get them out of my head. And as a marketer, uh, it makes such a difference to be able to market a product that you genuinely believe is better than anything else out there. Um, and then the last piece was mission. Um, so I'd been really interested for a long time in how business can be a force for good in the world. Patagonia is a company I've admired for, you know, decades now. Um, and so the intersection of those three things was pretty exciting for me and got me over the hump of joining something early stage again. How um, big was Bombas when you joined, just generally? How big was it? So I was the second employee. Oh, pretty small. Yeah. This was, this was pre-Shark Tank. It was the four founders and um, just one other employee. So quite small. Um, and the thing that's kept me there is all of those things that I mentioned brought me on board to begin with, plus the fact that because we've grown so much uh, that I've been able to continue to learn, uh, which for me is probably the driving force in my career. You're now the chief marketing officer after yeah. six years at the company. Tell us what that is. What is the work of the Bombas yeah. chief marketing officer? Yeah. Um, so the, the work is really to continue to drive the growth of the company is fundamentally how I, how I think about it. We've got a chief brand officer, uh, Randy Goldberg, who's one of our co-founders. So he and I obviously work very, very closely together. Um, part of the reason I joined Bombas is that they were doing a great job on the brand front and that I come from a more performance marketing background. And so it was an opportunity for me to learn a lot more about brand and the gap on their side was much more the numbers aspect of things. So I, in my role oversee acquisition, retention, uh, brand marketing, which for us is sort of the not creative parts, but the brand marketing channels, um, the data and analytics team, which supports the entire organization, the customer insights team, which supports the entire organization and the digital product org. 
So trying to really build towards a holistic view of our customers, the longer term goal. So yeah, Brandy is chief brand officer and you're the chief marketing officer. How do you stay yeah. really tight with him? Yeah. What are the kinds of things you do to be sure you're on the same page, seeing the world the same yeah. way, seeing the brand the same way? Yeah. Um, it's a really simple answer, but we spend a lot of time together. A lot of time together. Um, during this period of normally we were talking at least once a week and in like just the two of us and then obviously in a number of other meetings together as well. Uh, during this period, because things are evolving so rapidly, we're talking, you know, just the two of us probably three times a week, at least two, but frequently three. We talk an awful lot with CMOs on this podcast about capabilities, right? Because, you know, a lot of people are trying to transform their business for the world we live in. They don't feel it's going fast enough. Some of the old capabilities, mm -hmm. they have to sunset. So... Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask you what today is the most important capability in your organization that gives you competitive strength and what do you see in the future as being your most important competitive capability, marketing capability yeah. that you have to build? Yeah. So I'm going to, I think actually the real answer to this is being focused is the core capability um, rather than a functional capability. Um, I think we've been really fortunate to experience a tremendous amount of growth. And with that comes a lot of inbound opportunities. And I think something that we've really learned is focus is really important and to distinguish what, what we need to say no to and what is worth saying yes to. And how do you train an organization to do that? Yeah. So I think Something that we've really evolved on over the last year or two is getting really crisp on that focus. So for actually for a while, it was pretty easy. We were just socks, just online, just in the US. And then as we've moved into, you know, starting to think about how that evolves over time, the executive team spent an enormous amount of time together really thinking through as we move beyond that, what is that time frame? What are the specific goals around how that looks over time? and over communicating it to the rest of the organization and making sure that every single person in the organization is really clear on the timing of, of different initiatives and also the why behind them. And when you look forward, do you think focus is going to continue to be a key capability or do you think it's going yes. to be something else? It will be. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a decentralized organization in how you make decisions or do a lot of things come to the top? you get everyone aligned on the mission and you allow people to move on that quickly or something else? I would say we, it's, it's evolved. I mean, the company doubled in size over the course of 2019. We went from about 65 employees to 130. And as part of that transformation, definitely the way that we make decisions has evolved. And it's something we've been really focused on is empowering people throughout the organization to make decisions and putting in place, you know, racy type frameworks, uh, because definitely we want, we want people to be able to do their best work and are clear that that has to come from empowering people. What's your most important priority right now in terms of your role? So I think it's making sure that my team is successful and ha like is set up for success. 
Um, that's number one. I think especially in the current moment, making sure that morale stays high and that everyone is really clear on what they're doing and why is the single most important thing. Um, and then I think beyond that, it's making sure that we stay really agile in the current environment. It feels like things are, you know, a month ago, if you told me that we were going to be combining our mission and product messaging, I would have been quite surprised. But now, you know, the way that we're looking at our messaging evolution is really changing, not even week to week, but even every couple of days. Um, and so I think remaining agile is super important. And then the last one is making sure we're a very seasonally heavy business. Um, and so making sure that the team is focused on being agile today, but also making sure that the really important keystone projects that need to be in place by the end of the year are, are still moving along. How do you plan to capture this learning as we're working now? Because I'm hearing from so many different mm -hmm. companies that things are different, right? And people are acting yeah. more quickly and yeah. they're more engaged and yeah. they're working in many ways much more creatively and efficiently. Yeah. And, and many are saying, I've got to like make sure that we take a deep breath and capture this learning in this very, very unusual time. What are some of your thoughts on that? How might you capture? You've talked about this idea of agility and merging the product and the mission message. What, what other things might you do to carry forward what you're learning? Yeah. I think it actually does come back to that focus piece. I think one thing a crisis provides is something that everyone is really focused on. Um, and we've, we've definitely seen that the team has rallied behind that. Um, so I think focus is something we'll, we'll continue with. Um, and then I think we've learned a lot as an organization on communication. Again, I mentioned the company had doubled in size last year. Reg at any company that goes from 65 to 130 people, the ways that you need to communicate needs to evolve. Um, and I think something I'm hearing a lot from my team right now is a lot of the things that people would just sort of wander over and do in a really unstructured way now that they have to be structured. It's resulting in better conversations, the right people are in the room, and there's not, you know, there's less back channeling. Um, so I think the main thing is to make sure that people are reflecting on what those changes are and how they are both both good and bad. What are the things about this situation that are better and what are the things that are suffering? And then how, as we transition out of this, whenever that happens, how can they take those learnings and apply them to the different processes that we have in place and how they're interacting every day? I, you know, we're, we've talked a lot about culture already, and I've, I've mm -hmm. seen many videos of your founders talking about culture and what's special about your company. And I'd like, I'd like to talk about that for a few minutes with you. And I'd like to start with uh, your customer happiness team. And I've read about this. So could you tell me a little bit about that team, how it originated, you know, and, and what they do and how it makes you different and special as a culture? Yeah. Um, so Dave personally used to answer all customer questions and, and handle all customer issues, which I think really set the tone from day one that serving our customers well and making them happy is the reason, you know, one of the main reasons we're in business and that that was really important. Um, and it's really, it's really continued from there. Drew Sadler, who's our VP of um, customer happiness was a, also a very early employee and he he has a real 
talent for making customers feel special and for making the people on the customer happiness team feel excited that that's their job. Um, you know, Drew in, in an early customer happiness thing, he personally got on the LIRR and took a pair of, you know, a package of socks out to a customer because they had missed, you know, shipping deadline that they needed to hit. And I think it was like a two hour round trip journey for him to do that. Um, and we really, we take the time to celebrate those moments in, um, in our all hands, which happen every two weeks. We always make sure to include a giving partner story connected to our mission. Um, and then we also include a, a customer happiness story to make sure that the rest of the organization continues to feel like customer happiness is important um, and that it's something that's worth talking about in a forum like all hands, which, you know, is, is expensive for the company, right? Everyone is, if the entire company is, is shutting down to listen um, to that content, which I think signals a lot about its importance. Um, we also have a lot of fun with it on the marketing side. One of my all-time favorite emails that we've ever sent is we introduced a dog-proof guarantee as a, as a riff on our happiness guarantee, saying that if your dog ate or lost your sock, we would replace it. Um, we've had an enormous amount of engagement, people responding to that email with photos of their dog, you know, offending, um, you know, offending in, in eating Bomba socks. Um, so that's been a really fun one that's driven a ton of customer engagement. And I think the marketing team really has fun um, riffing on, on different variants of the happiness guarantee. So the customer happiness team, does it report up through you or one of the founders? So it reports up through our chief operating officer. Got it. And, and the things they do every day, they just think of all kinds of creative ways to engage customers, make them happy, follow up on conversations, all of the above. Yeah, so, so they, they do. I mean, obviously, we're, we're focused on making sure that people are happy. Sometimes the thing that's going to make someone happy is just solving their issue super quickly. And sometimes the thing that's going to make them happy is going above, above and beyond. Um, and I think they do a really good job of figuring out where that line is. And I've also read your employee turnover is ridiculously low. Yeah. And what can others learn from you on that? You know, yeah. I know you're still a much smaller enterprise than many of the companies mm -hmm. we talk to in this show, but what are the principles behind that that yeah. others could learn from? Yeah. I think the biggest is that we really consider ourselves a people first culture. I remember when I first started at Bombas, Dave, our CEO, would say the award he cared most about winning uh, was to be on Crane's. Uh, best places to work list um, and, you know, different best places to work awards because he really felt that if people were happy at Bombas, then customers would ultimately end up failing it. And that was the foundation for a successful business. And I think that approach is something we've really taken, you know, since day one and continues to be a, a major focus of the executive team is the the happiness and or success of the people in our organization. I hear so many of my guests talk about their journey to be more customer-centric or more consumer-centric, mm -hmm. whatever word they use. Mm -hmm. If I plopped you down into the middle of a large consumer enterprise mm -hmm. and I asked you to talk to them about how to build a consumer-centric culture, mm -hmm. what are some of the key points you would make in that speech you would make to them? Yeah. A great question. So I, th I think one, building out a robust customer support 
organization that's really connected with the rest of the business is really important. We get really good insight through the integration of our, it's not, you know, a team that functions totally separate from the rest of the business. Um, and so I think number one is making sure that the happiness and support for your customers is an organizational priority is a good, a good starting point. Um, second is just listening to your customers. Um, we do that definitely through our customer support team, but we've also built out a customer insights team that's quite active across the organization from merchandising to marketing, um, you know, to operations, helping us think about what, what are the shipping options we should have, et cetera. What are the expectations? Those are probably the two, the two biggest mm-hmm. things. Listening so critical, right? It's another simple, it's like what you said about focus. It's a yeah. simple capability, yeah. but it's so important because most organizations are craving for more focus. They want to know what's important in the company, what we're really yeah. trying to do. And listening, listening to people, you know, I, th- yeah. I think the ideas are usually with customers or in an organization. So mm-hmm. the more we as leaders listen, ask the right questions, seek to understand, we'll solve more problems. Yep. Yeah. Completely agree. Now I've read your, your, your aspirations to be a billion dollar brand mm-hmm. and you're on your way to that. You're over a yep. hundred million in sales from what I gather. Mm-hmm. What will it take to make Bombas a billion dollar brand? That's a wonderful ambition. What kinds yeah. of things need to happen? Yeah. I mean, I think we just need to keep <laughs> like we just need to Focus. keep doing yeah yeah i feel like a broken record but um you know we're we're at more than 100 million in sales um but we're still in terms of overall market share in the u.s stock market we still have a lot of room to run um and so i, I feel really excited still about the opportunity in e-commerce in socks in the u.s and then obviously as we think Longer term, um, we're expanding into additional product categories that should be a really big driver over time. We introduced t-shirts last year and we have additional product, an additional product category coming out next year. Um, you know, we're, we've just really started dipping our toes into wholesale. Um, we partner with some great places at the moment, um, including Nordstrom, Athleta and Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, so there's room for growth there as well. Uh, but I think you know, we, we still have a lot of room to run, even just in our core business. As you get to be, I don't know, 10 X your size, what about your culture can never change? What do you really need to protect about your culture as you get bigger and bigger and bigger? Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing we need to do is continue to prioritize the culture and prioritize the fact that we really want to be a, a people first organization. That's number one. Um, I think probably the biggest thing and the thing I hear when I ask any new employee what they're most surprised by in the Bombas culture is how warm and collaborative it is, um, that they really feel welcomed and valued. And I think starting off that way and helping people to continue to feel that way in their time with us is probably the, probably the most important thing. Um, and then I think connection to mission is also critically important and not something we can compromise on. How have you evolved as a leader in your six years? How are you different now than you were when you came through the doors six years ago? 
that's probably a whole different podcast. <laughs> Let's go. Um, that is a really good question. I think, so when I came in, I was much more of a, of a functional leader. I definitely felt like, and, and it was true at the time, my main value was in understanding online marketing. It was in understanding, you know, how to set up a first contact email flow. And I think as I've gotten, as I've grown over time and my team has grown, I've realized what I said earlier, which is that my number one job is to make sure everyone in my org is really clear on their priorities and that they're set up for success. Um, and that's a combination of clear expectations. That's a com um, feeling supported and valued. And that that's really where the value is. And then if that's in place, the team does an amazing job delivering. That's usually the case, right? Yep. If you bring in great people and yeah. you make clear the priorities and you support them, amazing things happen. Yep. I want to back up with you, Kate, to the mm -hmm. path that eventually led you to Bombas. So you went to Dartmouth as an undergrad. You studied geography and economics, fabulous majors. What did you think back then as you were coming out as an undergrad, a 22-year-old, with the geography and economics BA, what did you think you wanted to do with your career? So I actually was super interested in IDEO, um, the design agency. I was sure. really fascinated by the way they thought about customer needs. Um, I think I read every book that they've ever written. Um, I applied to probably five different jobs there, never, never got hired. Um, but I think that was that was a path that I was pretty pretty interested in, um, and then I found my way. I was really interested in Google as a company. It was something that I had followed from pretty early on, and when it went public, I was fascinated by that process. And a friend who worked in finance told me if I was interested in that, I should think about finance, um, and so that brought me into finance, which I actually quite quite liked. Um, but when I was in finance, I realized that I enjoyed most of all talking to the operators on the other side. Um, so one of the clients I covered, you know, I covered clients like Walmart and Target and McDonald's. And I loved hearing about, you know, things like they knew whether a recession was coming or not well before it showed up anywhere else because they could see patterns in their traffic. Um, I loved hearing about how they thought about business strategy. Um, and so ultimately left, left finance to move to the operating side. Yeah. So you were, you came out of Dartmouth and you went to Forrester, Goldman Sachs, and the number of startups in financial services and actually even in dating, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so is there a red thread in this career path? Is it curiosity? Is it studying patterns? Is it being part of something that's emerging? So what would be the red thread in your career to date? Yeah. Um, so I think probably it's a broad curiosity about the world and a desire to learn and grow um, are probably the, the underlying values. In terms of threads, I'm really interested in systems and patterns of behavior. So, you know, for example, in geography, 
in college, my favorite class was probably urban geography, which is about how cities develop um, in finance. The things I was most interested in, other than hearing about the, what was happening on the operating side, was how the financial markets worked um, and what, you know, something happens over here and then suddenly on the other side of the world, a different asset class is reacting. Um, and then online, online dating, I think, came is somewhat related to the online marketplace piece. Um, it was also a quite practical decision at the time in New York City. It was one of the few startups that had a business model that was super clear um, because online dating was a pretty proven space and I was interested in that. Um, and also sort of the, the marketplace of, of people, so to speak, which is essentially what online dating is quite cynically. Um, and then, yeah, with, with Bombas, it was really about the, the people, the, the purpose and the product. Um, and then the FinTech startup I worked at was actually also very mission driven. Um, and, you know, all about how people are connected all around the world. Um, and there's a ton of really interesting customer psychology around money. Mm -hmm. um, sure. So I guess not a super clear thread, but it's been fun. No, no, for sure. And you must be super, super curious about what's going on in the world right now, right? The way everything, yeah. everyone's yes. reacting to everything. It's, it's yes. really in terms of human behavior. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really rich. It's very sad yes. in many ways, but it's also very rich in insights. Yes, definitely. What are you most proud of in your career to date? I think that I've had the courage to go after what I'm curious about. It would have been I actually loved working in finance. I loved working at Goldman. It was a phenomenal place to work and I learned a ton and have stayed in touch with a pretty big number of former colleagues. Um, you know, and it felt quite risky to leave, especially when I left, it was 2010. I think it was still sort of the early side of the startup excitement. Uh, and it felt quite risky to leave and I, I did it and have stayed in it. Um, and I'm really grateful that I took that chance uh, because it did you know in retrospect when I talk to other people now and I'm not you know people come with career advice you know come for career advice and they're like oh I'm in finance I'm thinking about working in tech and now I look at them and I'm like you basically have zero risk um, but it definitely did not feel that way um, at the time so I'm proud of making that shift and doing something that I really enjoy. We talk about what you're most proud of what's been your biggest setback in your career? I think the, the things that have been, I would categorize it not as a specific setback, but a category of setbacks. I think there have been a number of places on the people front, um, which I mentioned is super important to me, where I haven't been able to support someone or help someone succeed in the way that I would have liked. And, you know, in all those, in, you know, in those cases, I've learned really valuable lessons that have then made me obviously better able to handle similar situations in the future, but I think any time a people thing doesn't go the way that I hope it will, that's, those are probably the hardest moments for me. What skill are you working on based on that? Is it to make uh, quicker decisions on people? Is it to, to analyze their strengths and weaknesses earlier? Is it, what, what, what kind of habits or practices have you evolved to address yeah. that? I think it's mostly just been learning to address things very head on very early. Um, I would say, especially earlier in my career, um, 
you know, I'd spend a lot of time trying to figure stuff out on my own and talking about it with mentors and talking about it with peers. I would spend a lot of time talking about the situation, but not not nearly as much time talking about the situation directly with the people involved. Um, and I would say that that has really shifted pretty dramatically to now I go there first and then and then I still, you know, I'm still really lucky to have a good network of mentors and peers that I'm able to to talk through with, but really trying to dig in first with the person or people directly impacted. Kate, I want to end this great conversation, at least the last part, with a bit of a lightning round, get your perspective on a variety of okay. issues, kind of fun ones, but, you know, issues big yeah. and small. And I want to start with what's a brand or service that you would really miss if it went away? I mean, right, right now, YouTube, um, I'm doing a lot of working out from mm. home and uh there's a phenomenal amount of free content related to working out on YouTube. So are you doing digital workouts in your apartment yeah. or your house? Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I'm doing doing yoga every morning and then a workout that makes me sweat every night. Good for you. And YouTube's your guide. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Very good. Who has been the most important influence in your life? Uh, I'll answer this just with my professional mm -hmm. life because sure. that came to mind first. Um, so there's a woman named Susie Scher who was my boss's boss in my second job at Goldman, um, was one of the first lesbian partners at Goldman. Um, and she was a phenomenal mentor to me while I was there. Um, and I haven't worked there for a decade and we're still, she's still an active mentor for me. Um, and the person that I, I go to with, I would say most work issues. What's her special gift? Is it in listening? Is it in guidance? Is it in humor? Yeah. Um, I think she's, she's very real, um, not just with mentees, but also with clients and peers. Um, she's, she's very direct, um, and clear, which is really helpful. She really, she really, really cares about people. Um, and she's also really good at identifying things in people that they may not see yet. So I always joked, she created Moneyball teams. She had a talent for sort of identifying who would be good in what role and then like putting them in a place that they were able to, to be their best self. Um, and then something else that I really appreciated is she was um, very active in pushing Goldman to get much more um, forward on, on a bunch of diversity issues. What are the rituals? You talked about you're doing yoga in the morning and working out at night now. What are the rituals that keep you sharp, energetic, in touch, creative, not burned yeah. out? What are the rituals yeah. you have? Yeah, um, definitely the longest lasting and the most impactful one is I write every single morning, uh, two pages stream of consciousness. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it uh, through uh, a book that she read that was um, it's called Morning Pages, I think is technically the, the practice, but it's two pages long form every morning. And it really helps me understand what I'm thinking, understand what I'm feeling and set the tone really for my day. What's on your near term bucket list? Um, I mean, once this all, once I'm able to travel again, getting married um, is, oh. is, uh, 
is that my partner lives in a different country. So um, we're waiting for all of this to blow over before we're able to get to get married. So that's probably the biggest one. Well, good luck. Where will you get married? Do you know yet? Thank you. Uh, in London. London. Oh, beautiful. Super. Oh. Okay. Who else would you like to listen to on the podcast? Who would be interesting for you? I'd be super interested to hear from, um, I think, Stephen, Stephen Young at Poshmark. I don't know if he's been on Not yet, yet but um, I'm pretty interested in the resale market. As a general, it's like a it's a really interesting subcomponent of the e-commerce world um, that I think is experiencing a tremendous amount of growth, and it's not an area that I've had a lot of opportunity to dig into. So I'd be curious to hear about that. Super. All right, it's a great idea. We haven't heard from anyone on that yet, but a, you're right. The resale market is already is already trending, and now what's going to happen? Yeah, it's only going to get more interesting over the next couple of years. Definitely. Well, Kate, this has been wonderful, and I sort of want to end where I started. I love your brand. I love your product. We're 100% loyal. And, and, and by the way, you know, it's not just because of the mission. You do make an unbelievable product, and I do feel like we sometimes under-talk about that. You know, there's nothing like a product that blows people's minds, and you have one. Yes. Thank you. As a marketer, I have to ask, how did you hear about us? How do you think? Podcast? No, my kids. Oh, my kids okay. first introduced me to your brand. Great. And then, um, and I started wearing them, I mean, years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, what are you, seven years old or so? It was probably, yeah, yeah probably was, you know, I wore them close to when you started sell, marketing them. And I started getting comments at my gym and on the tennis court and say, oh, I've heard about that brand. It's really cool. It's the one that has the mission. So actually, it, it kicked up a lot of conversation as I started work. But my kids, you know, introduced me first, and uh, and I, you know, and you've kept evolving the technology mm -hmm. and the styling. So you've done a great job of investing in your core and not getting complacent. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, listen, I I hope everyone in your team, your family, um, and in your life stays healthy and and uh, energetic and positive through all of this. And thank you for thank spending you. some time with us today. Yeah. Same Very to inspiring. you. Thank you so much. This was really fun. That was my conversation with Kate Hewitt. What I loved about this one was our in-depth discussion about purpose. She calls it mission. They give away a pair of socks to homeless shelters for every item they sell, but it goes way beyond that. They engage all of their employees in volunteer work. They ensure everyone personally feels the difference they're making. They put this into their KPIs. They talk about it at their town halls. It is so baked into how they do business. It's one of the best examples we've had yet on the CMO podcast about activating and living and measuring purpose. That's it for this episode of the CMO podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.